In Isaiah 52, beginning with verse 13 and going into 53, we're dealing with somebody who dealt with injustice, and he did it a very specific way that changed the course of mankind and humanity and the world as we know it. And if you were drug here or you have attended willingly, you are going to come face to face with what is the most significant, in my opinion, passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. Um, And so with that, would you pass out some scriptures, open up to Isaiah 52. By the way, Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13, all the way to Isaiah 53, is no longer read in synagogues. You're going to see that in a moment. All right, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We'll pick up at verse 13. Fourth of the servant songs, five, three verse stanzas. We already covered the first three stanzas, first three verses last week, but we're going to revisit them. Behold, verse 13, behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage, his face was marred more than any man. His form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. And then we come to Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And finally, verse 6, everyone say all. All All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us, say it. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. We enter in at the first all and exit at the second one. And Lord, we pray that you would minister to us and lead us into all truth. Remove the scales from our eyes. I pray, Lord, that this passage as it has for over 1,700 years, would just deeply touch every heart present. So God, we commit ourselves to you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. In the second and third of the five stanzas of three verses, uh, it is, it's described here, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah 53, verse 1. For she, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness that we would see him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. Uh, this, as I said earlier, uh, is a passage of scripture that's been removed uh, from the readings weekly in synagogues. The 17th century Jewish historian Raphael Levi admitted that long ago the rabbis used to read Isaiah 53 in the synagogues, but after the chapter caused arguments and great confusion, the rabbis decided that the simplest thing would be just to take the prophecy out of the Haftarah uh, reading in synagogues. That's why today when when the, the Haftarah is being read, it it, it it goes 52, it stops in the middle of chapter 52, and then the following week it goes straight to Isaiah 54. 
uh, in the Bible, and this is written by a Jewish author in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 53, the prophet prophesies about the Messiah, that he would be rejected by his people, suffer and die in agony, and that God would see his suffering and death as an atonement, a covering for the sins of humanity. And as we all know, Isaiah lived seven, uh, 700 BC, so, or, uh, so that's, gosh, what are we, 1700 years into this. And, uh, and it, it points out in Isaiah 53, this author says that leaders of Israel would recognize that they had made a mistake at the end of the days when they had rejected the Messiah. So Isaiah put the prophecy in the past tense. And because he saw himself as part of the people of Israel, he used the third person plural, we, who has believed our report. It describes the lack of faith among the people of Israel who don't believe what they've heard. To whom has the arm of the Lord or Adonai been revealed? Uh, and this is interesting, the arm of the Lord. And I wrote down for us some of the times where we've seen this, this verse used, arm of the Lord. Do you remember when we studied uh, chapter 40? The arm of the Lord would rule for him. Chapter 51, the Gentiles put their hope in the arm of the Lord. Um, and then in chapter 50, 52 also, 51, 52, the arm of the Lord would redeem. In chapter 52, the arm of the Lord brings salvation. But here in Isaiah 53, uh, Isaiah reveals that the arm of the Lord is in fact the Messiah. And that's God himself. For he grew up before him as a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no comeliness or no form that we would, we would desire him or look at him. He, he wasn't ugly. Jesus wasn't ugly. I mean, we depict him as this radiant, blue-eyed, you know, granite-chiseled face with flowing blonde hair, depending on what part of the world you come from. Um, and, and, we, you know, and, and we love to paint Jesus according to how we see ourselves, right? If you ever wonder why Hollywood makes the movies they do, they're making movies about themselves. If you want to know what their life's like, watch the movies. <laughs> it's tragic. Um, but with Jesus, we have this depiction of him. But the reality is, if he were present with us right now, you wouldn't know who he was. You just, he's one of those folks, he's not ugly, but you just kind of bypass him. He just has a face that blends. There's nothing in him that we're drawn to him. It was like, it's like Judas, when he had to betray him, he said, I'll betray Jesus with a kiss. He should have just said, I don't need to kiss him. He's the guy with a halo over his head, glowing. <laughs> he had to betray him with a kiss because he said, that's him? That's what this is all about, that guy? And there was nothing in his appearance that they'd be drawn to him. And when it says that he was a shoot out of dry ground, you have to remember from Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament to Matthew, there was 400 years span, God didn't speak. It was dry ground spiritually. And all of a sudden, out of dry ground comes this shoot, which is Jesus, and no, no beauty that we would desire him. Nothing that would cause us to... In contrast, you think the Messiah would be stunningly handsome and unbelievably rich, because that's, that's what we worship, right? Any carpenter family, dirt poor, and really not attractive? I mean, he's not going to make it on any magazine at the checkout at the supermarket. He's not on any of those. And, and yet, this is described in Isaiah 53. In contrast, uh, today, the Halakha teaches that according to the prophecy, the Messiah would be born in a prestigious rabbinic family, or that he would grow up in grand residence and wealthy, with wealthy uh, rabbis. They've changed it. But the reality is, in Isaiah 53, he was born into obscure poverty. And uh, he was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, 
one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. We didn't esteem him. His life was characterized by pain and rejection, suffering. He didn't get the honor due as being the Messiah. He's God, and we, we spit on him. He's God. We beat him. He's God. He performed miracles. We, we, the minute that he's arrested, the disciples disperse. The Messiah suffered in our place. He carried out our sicknesses, our suffering, our pain, the sins we committed while our people, while we, this is a Jew writing, thought he was being punished and that his suffering was God's punishment for sins that he himself had committed. We didn't understand that it was for our sins. And we all have, like sheep, have gone astray in this picture. But what's fascinating is it says, yet it pleased God to bruise him and cause him to suffer, make his soul a guilt offering, goes on to say, he was crucified. It's depicted in Isaiah 53. And, and as a pastor, I hear this endlessly. The Jews crucified him. The Catholics said that. Now Protestants join in and anti-Semites. And Jews respond, no, the Romans killed him. Yeah? Anybody hear any of that? Maybe it's just pastors who hear it. You know who killed him? It pleased God the Father. God himself laid his son on the altar as Abraham laid Isaac. None of us as human beings are perfect, and this was a perfect sacrifice, and the Father knew it. We get into this idea of sacrifices. We get into this idea of all these things, and, and we struggle with who Christ is. And here's the interesting thing. In Isaiah 53, when you bring a sinful man into the presence of a holy God, you know when you have two gears going at different speeds and you try to sink them without a flywheel? Anyone that you, any young person you tried to teach how to drive a manual transmission, you understand this. <laughs> right? <laughs> Metal everywhere. So when you bring a holy God and a sinful man together, let me just show you some of the things that start to grind in the process. And as it begins to grind, it, when we add the word our and we and us, sorrow, grief, despised, hmm, smitten, afflicted, stricken, wounded, bruised, chastised, stripes, that's the grind. And we say, wow. I didn't do it. I don't want that. Wait a minute. You're not getting off that easy. You've been wronged. You want justice. Everyone in the room wants it. That's why we have courts of law. That's why we have governments. That's why we have police officers. That's why we have rules. We want justice. And if you've been wronged, you scream for justice. And we say it's an injustice. Turn the tables. You have hurt somebody. Now you're screaming for mercy. What is just? What is true? What is right? And if you dwell in a world that's only physical, not metaphysical, don't give me terms like good and evil, right and wrong. 
Because those are my terms. I'm in metaphysical world. I believe in, in good and evil, right and wrong. I believe in love and hate. I believe they exist. But in a physical world, you can't come up with those concepts because it's just matter to you. You have been, you've evolved from some primordial soup and you can't use emotions to govern your life. You're just a robot. And, and that's Silicon Valley. The, the future is just to transfer all of your thoughts into some sort of a robot so that you can have some sort of an existence for eternity. That's like hell right there. But here's the problem with the folks that just believe in a physical world of matter. This is a bummer for you. You, you fall in love. Your heart is smitten. You, somebody blinks at you and you're just moved by it. And all of a sudden you have compassion. You go, what is this? This is an emotion. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's no good. I don't have to feel guilt. I don't have to feel a conscience. This, this is, this is, this has been imprinted on me. I want to throw off these shackles. I am only matter. Then you fall in love. You watch a sunset and you're moved. Artistry, artistic you start to see things the way other people can't. And you're troubled by this. And, and oh, one of the reasons why you want to throw off a metaphysical thought of like love is because you fell in love and somebody hurt you. And now you want justice. Whoa, there's no justice. Don't you go there. Justice means that there's a right and a wrong. You can't go there. There's no good. There's no evil. There's no right. There's no wrong. You don't have that luxury. You see, the way we play justice when we remove the metaphysical world is if I'm in power, I get to write the rules. Tim, I'm going to pick on you. So pay attention. Any other uh, first responders, police officers? Okay, here we go. You guys know, because I was a chaplain and I know, and I, was the, I just had a little uniform, a little badge, and it wasn't even a cool one. I got caught speeding going to San Diego when my dad was in the hospital and I got pulled over by highway patrol. And you know, those guys never let you off. They're only, they only let each other off. They don't help anybody else. (laughs) And you guys know the rule. You get pulled over and you got your license there, but you have it attached to the flip with your badge, huh? you go, (laughs) right? Hello, work with me. Is this true? You're not even moving. And the officer says, on your way, no ticket. Thank you very much. I was speeding and I had just a chaplain square badge. It wasn't even like cool looking, but I put it next to my wallet so it would flip out. And the highway patrol looked at me and it was, it was like old and decrepit. I didn't even think I'd done a chaplain call in a while. It's cracked and everything. And he goes, Chaplain, what are you in such a hurry for? I was going to go see my dad. Okay, well, go on. Slow down. I drove away going, I'm righteous. (laughs) I was a sinner. I transgressed. I broke the law. But I had connections. And I got let go. And you're jealous. And the first thing you do when you transgress is you try to justify. 
And so we get our groups that agree with us and we call it social justice. But the question is, what is right and what is wrong and how do we deal with true justice? And what is true mercy? Did the officer let me go out of mercy or did he let me go because I was part of his clique? I do. She's the wife of an officer. It's okay. She's justifying it. And it's all right. Because that's her world. And officers need to protect each other, right? Relax, Andy. So my point is this. We come face to face with a Messiah that has died. And he's been smitten. And he's borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. We've esteemed him not. We've stricken him. He's been smitten by God. He's been afflicted, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, a chastisement of our peace is upon him. By his stripes, we've been healed. But we like sheep have all gone astray. Everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. And you have to say, I don't need a Messiah. I didn't ask him to die. I didn't kill him. No, 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 no. The father allowed it to happen to pay for the penalty of the transgression. See, you're living on his earth, breathing his air, drinking his water, you know, living on his dirt, eating his food. And you owe him an accounting of your life. You've been created his image and he's given you rules to abide by. But each has gone to his own way and decided to make their own rules. And the more power they can assess with themselves and suppress other people. And you say, wait a minute, pastor. Mm -mm. No. Are you talking about, are, are, are you talking about a theocracy where Christ comes and reigns over the earth? No, he reigns in every human heart that motivates people to establish forms of government that protect the fact that we've been created in the image of God and fearfully and wonderfully made with inalienable rights. Not a theocracy. You see, that would be domination. It's not an act of the will. You say, well, Christianity is responsible for so many atrocities. Please name them. Oh, the Salem witch trials. Yes. The Inquisition. Mm, yep. The Crusades. Yeah. Yeah, they did that. All, all, all of them. 26 people died in the Salem witch trials. And it was ended by pastors. The Inquisition, probably over 100, 150,000 died, and that was awful. And that's because a church carried the sword, and the church is never supposed to have the sword, and they just did an atrocity. I fully agree. It was terrible. The Crusades, uh, I'd contend with you, because they didn't start fighting until most of their land had been invaded, and they wanted to push back, and it's, we're watching it happen in Europe now. But anyways, where were we? Let's remove God from the equation for government as ideologies contend and we see what justice is. Justice is everyone's equal and we take God out and we change the narrative and it's, you've been conditioned to believe this way, so let's remove God. So let's see how that's worked in the history of the world. You take God from the equation as Mao Zedong did and Pol Pot and Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin and just go down the line. And how have we done with that? Billions are dead. Because the value is a little longer gone and we don't even say we have a sin nature and really justice is only in the hands of those who have the power. But when you include God into the equation, he says, listen, this is what has to happen. Sin is awful. We don't esteem you, but you came anyways and you bore our griefs and our sorrows. You were stricken, smitten, afflicted, wounded, bruised, chastised, whipped. And the world is hurting. 
And the Messiah comes. And he's a Messiah that's born in poverty. He's a Messiah that is obscure. And we don't even know how to deal with it. This is a, a nine-minute video that I'm going to show you. It's completely in Hebrew. So I hope you have coffee. <laughs> but if you watch it and pay attention and read what is below, it'll blow you away because this man comes in and all he does is he reads from their Torah. He reads from their scriptures and he reads to them Isaiah 53. Watch what happens when the world of Israel comes face to face with just words. With just words. And I'll leave you with this before we watch the video. The reason why Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, is so controversial is because he said this. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. means I and no other exclusively. That's, that's pretty arrogant if you aren't God. All right, so let's take a look at it. פרק אחד בתוך הספר הזה, שבעצם היו מכירים אותו בבתי הכנסת בעבר, ואז הרבנים החליטו להוציא את זה מההפטרה. היום זה נחשב הפרק האסור. האם שמעת על זה עוד פעם? האם את רוצה לראות מה נסתר בפרק הזה? יש לך את זה? יש לי פה בתנ"ך. אני רוצה לדעת כמה שזה על זה, האמת בעצם בגלל זה אנחנו עושים את התוכנית הזאת, כי רוב האנשים לא קראו את הפרק הזה בכלל, כי לא, לא קוראים את זה עוד בבתי הכנסת. הפרק הוא ישעיהו נ"ג, נבואה מאוד חשובה על מי המשיח יהיה, ולמשך 1,700 שנים, מאז שהוא כתב את זה, כמעט כל הרבנים וחז"ל האמינו שזה פרק שמדבר על המשיח. בעצם גם בתלמוד, בסנהדרין צד"ח, גם ילקוט שמעוני, הזוהר, הרמב״ם, האמינו שהפרק הזה מדבר על המשיח. אז עכשיו אנחנו מגיעים לקטע הכי כיפי, שאנחנו נקרא כמה קטעים מאותו פרק ונראה על מה זה מדבר. זה וחדל אישים, איש מחובות, וידוע חולי, וכמסתר פנים ממנו, נבזה, ולא חשבנו הוא. הוא היה בזוי ודחוי על ידי בני אדם, איש שידע כאבים ומחלות, הוא היה כמו אדם שמסתירים ממנו את הפנים, בזוי וחסר ערך בעיניהם. שזה מדבר העניין הזה על, על המשיח. אדם שכמו שכתוב בזוי ודחוי על ידי החברה. העם שלנו היה משוכנע שהוא שלילי. לא יודע למה. לא קיבלו אותו. דחו אותו. לא חשבנו שהוא היה המשיח. כל אויינו הוא נשא ומכאובנו סבלם. ואנחנו חשבנו הוא נגוע, מוכה אלוהים ומעונה. לכן הוא נשא את המחלות שלנו, סבל את הכאבים שלנו, ואנחנו התייחסנו אליו כמו אל חולה במחלה קשה, שאלוהים גרם לו להיות מושפל ומעונה. הוא לקח את כל הכאב, את כל הסבל ואת כל המחלות עליו. ובכל זאת, אנו דחו אותו. הוא עשה לנו טוב ובעצם נתנו לו רע בחזרה. הוא סובל בגללנו, בגלל כל ה... בעצם העבירות שאנחנו עושים, אז הוא סובל את הכאב הזה. הוא נתן לנו מעצמו, הוא סבל בשבילנו, הוא לקח את המחלות שלנו, את כל החטאים שלנו. מעוצר וממשפט, לוקח את דורו, מי ישוחח, כי נגזר מארץ חיים, מפשע עמי, נגע למו. 
ויתן את רשעים קברו ואת עשיר במותיו, הלא חמס עשה ולא מרמה בפיו. בפסוק 12 כתוב, תחת אשר הרע למוות נפשו. מה התוצאה של הסבל שלו בסופו של דבר? הוא מת. הוא מת. הוא ימות. עם עשירים. איזה כיף. אני גם רוצה. אז קיצר ישימו אותו על דברים שהוא לא עשה, וקיבל על זה. מעניין. הוא מת, אבל... לא, לא מוות עם כבוד. קודם כל, האם זה משהו ששמעת על המשיח, שכל הדברים האלה אמורים לקרות לו? לא. זה לא. יש גם את התיאור הזה, לא רק בפסוקים אלה, אבל גם בזכריה, בדניאל, במקומות אחרים, וגם הרבנים העתיקים הבינו שהמשיח אמור לסבול. והוא מחולל מפשענו, מדוכא מעוונותינו, מוסר שלומנו עליו, ובחבורתו נרפא לנו. כולנו כצאן טעינו, איש לדרכו פנינו, והשם הפגיע בו את עוון כולנו. אבל הוא נפצע בגלל הפשעים שלנו, בגלל החטאים שלנו, הוא הושפל, נענש כדי שלנו יהיה שלום, בזכות הפצע שלו נרפאנו. כולנו עבדנו כמו צאן, כל אחד מאיתנו פנה לדרכו, אבל אדוני הטיל את האחריות על החטאים של כולנו. הבנתי, על פי הפסוקים, כאילו, הוא, הוא יספוג את החולי והרוע שלנו, וזה ירפא אותנו, והוא בעצם יהיה בן אדם שנענש. שהוא ייקח על עצמו את כל ה... אוקיי. ייקח את כל העוונות שלנו, ואת כל המכאובים, ואת כל מה שעברנו. הוא לקח על עצמו את הכל. שכל החטאים, וכל הדברים הרעים, וכל העונש הכבד, אלוהים כאילו הכניס את זה באדם אחד. אז על כל אחד מאיתנו לשאול, האם יש בי חטא? האם אי פעם גנבת משהו? אפילו משהו קטן, או משהו להוריד משהו מהאינטרנט שלא שייך לך? מי לא? למשל, האם אי פעם שיקרת? כן. בוודאי, כל אחד משתף. גם אני, אני לא זכאי בזה. האם אי פעם חמדת? כן. ברור, אני חוטא גדול. וגם לפי התנ"ך, כל המחשבות וגישות הרעות שלנו, כמו אנוכיות, או הגאווה, או כל הדברים כאלה, הם גם נחשבים לחטא. אז אם למשל אנחנו היינו מקרינים כל המחשבות שלך על מסך, וכולם שמכיר אותך היו רואים אותם, היית רואה רק מחשבות טובות שם, או גם כמה לא טובות? גם וגם, גם וגם, כן. קודם כל, ברור שתראה גם מחשבות לא טובות, אז כל האנשים, גם הצדיק שבצדיקים, יהיה להם מחשבות רעות בראש. אבל היו לפעמים מחשבות שהייתי אומרת, אם היא הייתה נעלמת זה היה טוב. אלוהים הוא קדוש וטהור לגמרי, והוא לא יכול להיות בנוכחות של חטא. אז זה בעצם, החטא שלנו מפריד אותנו. ממנו, ומגיע לנו בסופו של דבר גם עונש. כתוב ביחזקאל ה-18, פסוק 4, שהעונש שמגיע לנו זה, זה מוות. בסופו של דבר הפרדה מאלוהים לנצח, כי... לא הייתי רוצה. <laughs> אז בסוף אתה חושב שאתה צריך סליחה וכפרה על החטאים שלך, או, או לא? כן, מאה אחוז. גם, גם אני, גם כולם בעצם, אין, אין מישהו שלא. אבל יש גם חדשות טובות. כי אלוהים הוא, הוא לא רק שופט, הוא גם אבא שאוהב אותנו. ולכן הוא נתן בתורה את המערכת הקורבנות. הקורבן היה לוקח על עצמו את החטאים של אותו בן אדם. כתוב שהקורבנות יפסקו, ושבמקום הקורבנות שהיו, אלוהים ישלח בן אדם שיקרא המשיח. שיקח על עצמו את כל החטאים. וזה מה שקראנו עכשיו, אלוהים נתן לנו בתנ״ך תיאור 
מאוד ספציפית של מי, מי המשיח יהיה כדי שנזהה אותו ולא נפספס אותו. וכמובן זה מאוד קריטי שנדע מי הוא הבן אדם הזה, כי בלעדיו אין לנו את הכפרה והסליחה כדי שהוא ייקח את החטאים שלנו. כתוב בדניאל פרק ט' ש, שהוא חייב לבוא לפני חורבן בית המקדש השני. אז בעצם זה היה בשבעים לספירה. אז המשיח היה חייב לבוא לפני זה, לפי התנ״ך. כתוב גם במיכה ה' שהמשיח הזה ייוולד בבית לחם. וגם כתוב בישעיהו, מה שקראנו עכשיו, ישעיהו נ"ג, שהעם שלנו נדחה אותו בהתחלה, ושהוא יסבול וימות. וכתוב בפסוקים אחרי זה, אחרי שהוא ימות הוא יקום לתחייה, ואז כתוב שגויים רבים יקבלו אותו, והם יכירו את אלוהי ישראל. בגללו. אז עכשיו, מהתיאורים הללו, מהתנ״ך, יש מישהו בהיסטוריה שהגשים את הדברים האלה? אני uh, לא יודעת. לא, לי לא ידוע. לך ידוע? יש מישהו שהגשים את זה? לא, לא שאני חושב. יכול להיות שיש, תגיד לי עכשיו, אני אגיד לך, כן, אבל עכשיו לא עולה לי לראש. ישו. שמע, שוב אני חייב להזכיר שאני לא מאמין בזה בכלל, אבל לפי הסיפורים וכל מה ששמעתי, כן, זה מתאים לישוע. עשו ממנו איש קטן על איש גדול, שהוא בעצם כן עשה מעשים טובים, והוציא אותו בדיוק ההפך. תראה, אני מאמין שישוע, שבא לפני חורבן בית המקדש, שהוא הגשים את אלה בדיוק, הוא בא לפני שבעים לספירה, הוא נולד בבית לחם, שהעם שלנו דחה אותו, הוא סבל ומת, אבל הוא קם לתחייה. היו חמש מאות אנשים יהודים שראו אותו חי אחרי שהוא מת, והם כתבו עליו. וגם כמובן הגויים קיבלו אותו באפילו מיליארדים והמשיח אמר אני אקח את זה על עצמי אני כל הסבל והעונש שהיה מגיע לכם אני אקח את זה על עצמי אבל כדי לקבל את זה אנחנו חייבים לעשות מה שהיו עושים אז מתוודים על החטאים, מצטערים עליהם, להתחייב לא לעשות אותם עוד וגם להאמין ולהעביר את החטאים שלנו עליו רק אם אנחנו נאמין באותו משיח ונקבל אותו, אז, אז הוא יקבל את כל, כל החטא שלנו uh, על עצמו. לא נראה לי ששמעתי את הדברים האלה בגלל שהנושא מגיע לישו, כבר uh, יש כזה מחסום שלא רוצים אפילו לחשוב על זה, לא, לא רוצים uh, לפתוח את הראש, להיות, uh, באמת, להביא לזה מחשבה קצת. זה, לא יודע, מסתכלים עליו כאילו, כן, כמו ש... כתוב בפסוק הזה, שדחו אותו. It's an immediate barrier. It just kind of shuts down the conversation. But the reality is, as you go through this, his name's never even once mentioned in Isaiah 52, verses 13, to Isaiah 53, all the way to the end of verse 12. And yet you read it, and you're without excuse. I mean, you just read it, and you're like, yeah. And, and folks that speak Hebrew, who have been raised reading the Torah, the Tanakh, they go through the whole thing. And they see this and they realize this is a Messiah. This is the depiction of him. This is profound. And then Christ is once again presented to them and they go, yes, I get it. But it boils down to this. What is justice? 
You see, this is justice. Here's why. In Exodus 12, and we talk about human trafficking and slavery and child prostitution, the Jews were enslaved by the Egyptians. Unjust. God came to set the captives free. He gave them miracle after miracle so they'd let the slaves go, and they wouldn't. And finally, he waits till the very end. He says, I'm going to send an angel of death, and it's going to kill the firstborn in every one of the towns that you live in. And to the Jews that I want to deliver, I'm going to put blood over the doorpost, according to Exodus 12, so that when the angel of death comes, it will pass over those doorposts. And then you will let these slaves go. And they fought it. And the night came and they followed it in accordance. They said, you have to slay this this lamb, right? Put the blood in the basin, take the hyssop, dip it in the basin, put it on the doorpost and on the top. And so every Jewish home that night that the Passover was to occur was putting the blood of the lamb on the post of the door. They were trying to avoid a transgression. They didn't want a penalty. You see, when you go to a priest in the Old Testament for your sacrifice, you bring your animal. Does the priest examine you or the animal? Thank God. I wouldn't be worthy of a sacrifice. I'm a mess. He'd take this innocent animal without blemish And you would take your hands and transfer your misery onto that sweet, sinless, precious animal. And it would bleed out and die in your place. The priest didn't examine you, didn't examine me. They examined the sacrifice. The sacrifice had to be without blemish. I couldn't die for you because I'm full full of blemishes. So are you. And yet we still think we aren't. We commit a transgression and we go, officer... What am I supposed to do with this speeding ticket? And then the officer is always funny. He says, keep it. When you collect four of them, you get a bicycle. (laughs) We come face to face with our transgressions. You're all guilty and so am I. Can I get a hearty amen, which means true? Okay, thank you. There's nobody perfect. That's all we're getting to. How do we deal with not being perfect in a world where there's a God? You have to atone for your sins. You've got to pay the penalty. The penalty is a ticket when you speed. When you murder somebody, you die. Blood must be shed for the remission of sins. The wages of sin is death. And God gives us a sacrificial system in the Old Testament. It was a bull for a priest or an entire community. It was a male goat for a ruler for us. It was a female goat or a lamb for poor folks. It was pigeons. Sacrificial system according to God's law. The lamb was without blemish. They transferred the sin like I showed you. We take this animal that's been inspected, found without blemish. We put our hands on, transfer our sin. They kill the animal in our place. Same thing in the New Testament. There's the lamb. It's Jesus Christ. He's without blemish. John one twenty nine. Transfer the sin and he dies on the cross. This is out of Exodus 12. Now the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Do you think that the Jews had any sin like the Egyptians did? Or were they sinless? God had mercy on them. He would have mercy on anyone who was willing to obey. Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you 
upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. You see, I don't have any cuts on me right now, but if I had a nice, sharp knife and cut here or by my femoral artery, within moments I would bleed out and I would die because it brings oxygen, right? And that's the life force in the body. When that is shed, the animal dies. The sin is transferred because the penalty is death. When the blood pours out, they die. The cup is the blood. This is the body. The reason why you do the bread first is because you've got to cut before the blood pours out. It had to be poured. Just like the Passover, we've all admitted we've committed injustices, yes? yes. So we need somebody to pay the ticket. And the ticket is death. And just as the angel of death passed over one house, he passes over ours. You see, the blood was on the top, according to Levitic or Exodus, and on the side and also in the basin where the lamb was slain. And they would take the hyssop and they put it on the sides. The crown of thorns dug into his skull, three-inch thorns, blood pouring out, wrists pierced for our transgressions. His feet pierced for our transgressions, blood pouring out. It's a picture But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That's Isaiah 53. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then finally, Ezekiel 18, The soul who sins shall die. The soul, the soul that commits an injustice, the soul that hurts somebody, the soul that lies, the soul that cheats, the soul that does fill in the blank and we're all guilty shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. You can't say I did it because someone did it to me. You're guilty for your own deal. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, the Lord took our iniquity, our sin, our injustice, our failure, and he paid the penalty. And you walk over and here's the lamb and you put your hands on that lamb and it's been examined, and it's without blemish, and you're filled with blemish, and you lay your hands on that lamb and transfer all that guilt, all that shame, all that misery, and then he gets pierced, he gets beaten, he gets ridiculed, he gets mocked, he gets pierced, scorned, his visage marred more than any man. You go free and he dies. I go free, he dies. That's communion. This isn't a silly Christian ritual. This is the reality that we celebrate. I have been set free. 
He is my Messiah. And I leave you with this as we prepare to take communion. We esteemed him not. He was a man acquainted with sorrow and he bore our sorrows. He bore our briefs, our griefs. He esteemed, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes were healed. D.O. Moody, an old time preacher, had given a sermon a series of them in Chicago. He was leaving, going to another town. He was on the train, finally getting some rest. And a man comes running alongside who didn't respond in any of the altar calls. And he's running alongside. And he says, Pastor Moody, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I got to do? And Moody yelled out. He said, Isaiah 53, 6. He said, what do I do? What do you mean, Isaiah 53, 6? Enter at the first all. And exit at the second. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You enter at the first one, guilty. You exit at the second one. I receive his forgiveness. Mercy. In a world of injustice, mercy. I I don't know what else to say. But it awaits you. He's freely given it. And he, he was bruised. He was smitten. He was beaten to a pulp. He took it all so you could go home. He takes the penalty. You go free. Need I say any more? And it awaits you. Come. All you are burdened and heavy laden. He's come to give you rest. He's come to give you life and life more abundant. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And the only way you get there is through the Yeshua HaMashiach. The, the Jews get it. Once it's read, you, you, we see it. It's all there. Come. Come. Life awaits. Forgiveness awaits. And as we receive, we go and give. And we'll take communion together. Remember, as we take communion, the ushers will hand you the, co- the cup. And then you take the bread, you go to your seat, and you sit down. And remember just how we do it, because it's so significant. You eat the bread first, remember? Because if the blood's going to pour out, the life force, it's got to break somewhere. And as it's crunching in your teeth, you're realizing the, the flesh is being whipped and the body's being broken. And once that happens, that cup the cup that was shed for the remission of our sins, that we, we come and reason with the Lord. Our sins are as scarlet. He washes us as white as snow. He forgives us our sins, past, present, future. Unbelievable. Prophesied 700 years before he ever walked the face of the earth, and it's waiting for us right 